there was an older man named Arthur who absolutely loved Jesus. He adored him. He had maintained a fervent faith for a lifetime, and his grandson came to visit Arthur in the country. And while sitting on his porch, he asked his grandfather, Grandfather, why do you love Jesus so much? Arthur motioned his dog, Buster, and said, You know, Buster, the other day, he was chasing a rabbit, and there was a bunch of other dogs that followed suit, were chasing the rabbit with him. But long after those other dogs gave up the chase, Buster kept after it. He kept chasing that rabbit. And the grandfather asked his grandson, do you, do you know why Buster never quit? The grandson said, no, I don't. See, because Buster had actually seen the rabbit. All the other dogs had simply followed suit, following after Buster. So what cut Buster in the race is the fact that he had seen the rabbit. Arthur's experience with Jesus, the fact that he had seen Jesus through spiritual eyes, kept him in fervent faith. He followed Jesus for a lifetime because he knew who it was that he was worshiping. We need to see Jesus to maintain fervent faith. So we're on this series on the resistance, the church and its mission. And our desire is to take the church back to Jesus, cornerstone Jesus, so that we can move forward and on with God. This is his church. And so to do that, we're examining passages of Scripture where Jesus talks about the church. We started with John on the island of Patmos, where the risen Jesus provides seven letters to churches in modern-day Turkey. In each of the seven letters, Jesus emphasizes a different trait characterizing true and living churches. Ephesus is urged to return to its first love, while Smyrna is encouraged to endure suffering and hardship. Pergamum is a champion to champion truth in the midst of error, and Thyatira is to embrace holiness in the midst of evil. Sardis needed to display an authentic and genuine faith, and Philadelphia had a mission to fulfill. In the final letter to the church in Laodicea, the one that we're in this morning, it stresses spiritual fervor. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 3 this morning. I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we have Bibles underneath the, the seats, and you're welcome to take one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that Bible home with you. It's a gift from the church. And the reason we stand is we don't worship the Word, but we revere it. We value the fact that God sent us His Word to give us instruction for life, and so we just want to honor that by standing for the reading. The message given to the church in Laodicea is important for our church today. So Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold for me, refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Do you hear that? If he loves you, he's going to set you straight. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. So as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the very words of God, I invite you to be seated this morning. Laodicea, as we look at the map, is 45 miles southeast of Philadelphia, 100 miles due east of Ephesus. So here's your quiz. This is the teacher in me. You should be able to look at that map and determine what the qualities that Jesus expects of his church. You should be able to look at Ephesus. Does anybody know what's the church called to? Oh, I heard it. Love. Smyrna? Yeah, more people remember suffering. That's hard to forget. Uh, Pergamum? Truth. Thyatira? Uh-oh. That one went to the connect groups, exactly, holiness. So we didn't preach that on a Sunday. It was by video. Sardis? Authenticity. Philadelphia was just last week. Mission, why do we have these doors on this stage? Why? We have an open door to mission. Amen. The Roman road stretching inland to Asia from Ephesus ran straight through the city, making Laodicea an important trade and communication center. Laodicea's position made her one of the richest commercial centers of the ancient world. The Lycus Valley provided good grazing for sheep that provided highly sought-after soft black wool. Prosperity also brought the baking industry to Laodicea. The town was wealthy enough to not need public assistance. Following a devastating earthquake in AD 60, the city was rebuilt without financial help from Rome. The city also had a school of medicine. They manufactured and distributed a special ointment called Pergium powder, famous for curing eye defects. Jesus sends the Laodicean church a harsh letter containing correction and no praise. Counter that with last week, the church in Philadelphia, the church called to mission. He gave praise and no correction, but now we're the opposite this week. The Laodiceans had put their trust in wealth, luxury, and health. The letter served as a warning to those putting trust in material things and leaving God out. To the church in Laodicea, Jesus says this, Look, I stand at the door and knock. I'm sure it's a familiar verse to those who have been in the church. And so often I've heard this scripture applied to individuals. But let me ask, did Jesus send this letter just to one person? No, who did he send it to? The whole church. Jesus is giving this letter to an entire community. In a blind, self-sufficient manner, the Laodicean church left Jesus outside. Can you imagine? Jesus is here today, but we left him in the parking lot. That's what this church did. Jesus had nothing to praise them for. It acted like it could cope by itself. It's easy to gain material things and at the same time bankrupt a soul. Jesus wants to be master of the house. He desires to take up residence in every room. Following Jesus means surrendering without condition, seeking his will and promptly obeying it. Jesus wants the whole you. He doesn't want just part of you. He wants to be at the center. Jesus claims the church in Laodicea was neither hot nor cold. Water in Laodicea came via an aqueduct not near a natural source, and often arrive lukewarm. When we visited the city in Laodicea, so there's some pictures there. There's our great kids. Lucas is strapped to Shelley's chest. 
It's a beautiful city. It was an opulent city. The picture in the lower right is actually the foyer area of the church in Laodicea. That's a huge foyer in this church. Now, it wasn't the first century church. First century churches, they just met in houses. So several hundred years later, this is the church in Laodicea. So it was an opulent place, and we got to see these aqueducts where they piped in water because there was no natural source for water. Compared to the hot medicinal waters of nearby Heriopolis, we went and visited these springs, these hot springs, so this was near. And compared to the mountainous, snow-fed, cold waters of neighboring Colossae, Colossae was very close to Laodicea, the waters in Laodicea lacked desirability. Two things can cause a lukewarm existence in the church. Here they are, prosperity and a lack of persecution. We ask, where do we find the American church today? Prosperous and with a lack of persecution. Laodicean church had money, but was not troubled by false teaching or civil unrest. The members of this church held to a sentimental, skin-deep religiosity that is also widespread among our churches today. The church was not spiritually refreshing for the weary. It was not cold, refreshing water. Nor was it helpful to those in need of healing. It was not a source of hot medicinal waters. This is the real meaning behind neither hot nor cold. So often we've heard that. Does God desire that anyone should perish without knowledge of him? No. So why would he say it's better that you would be cold? He doesn't want people cold and cast off. What he's saying is a church should be a place of cold, spiritual refreshing, and it should also be a place of hot, spiritual healing. Do you understand? So we want hot, we want cold, we don't want in-between and lukewarm. Without spiritual fervor, the church is totally ineffective. It needs to be both hot and it needs to be cold. It is distasteful to the Lord. The Laodicean church became complacent and lacked a sense of urgency. It was drifting rather than driving. The word translated hot, it actually refers to a boiling point. An inner spiritual fire is in constant danger of dying and needs to be poked, fed, and fanned into flame. The church needs courageous men and women with an inexhaustible fire in their bones for the things of God. How many pray in Augustinian fashion, revive the church, O Lord, beginning with me. Jesus is true. If he is the Son of God, come in human form to die for sin and be raised from the dead. If Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter are more than meaningless anniversaries, then nothing less than wholehearted commitment to Christ will do, putting him first, seeking his glory, and obeying his will. So I ask, do you have a zeal, a fervor, a fire, a passion for the things of God? Do fervor, perseverance, truth, holiness, authenticity, and mission motivate you? The story is told of three demons leaving hell to fill the earth with evil. And before leaving, they told Satan their plan. One said, I will tell men there is no God. That, said Satan, will not do. In their heart of hearts, they know he exists. I will tell men, said the second, there is no hell. That, said Satan, is hopeless. Even in life, they have experienced the pangs of hell. I will tell men, said the third, there is no hurry. Go, said Satan. You will ruin them by the millions. 
A loss of fervor leads to complacency in mission. If we forget people are perishing every day without the saving knowledge of Jesus, we lose, and they lose. The church is called to fervor. Paul writes about our need to remain fervent in the book of Romans. Here's what he writes. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So the question is, how do you maintain spiritual fervor for a lifetime? Anyone can be fervent for a day, for a week, for a month. You can come back from youth camp and be charged up for a week. But what happens in four months? We're never to be lacking in zeal. As you examine the life of believers in the New Testament, as you look at the life of John, Peter, Paul, of course Jesus, you will find that there are two things required to remain fervent in faith. You must abide, you must pray, and you must stay on mission for God. In other words, here's what it is. To remain fervent in faith, you must abide in Jesus and stay on mission for him. Think about John. We started in Revelation chapter 1. John's on the island of Patmos. He's in an inhospitable place. It says that he was worshiping on the Lord's day, so he woke up on Sunday. He doesn't have a community of believers, but what's he do? I'm going to worship Jesus. And when he worships Jesus, he shows up. So often we want to wait for Jesus to show up and then start to worship, and it doesn't work that way. We have to start worshiping, and then Jesus shows up. So John is worshiping, he's abiding, and he's head over these seven churches. One church, seven locations, Ephesus, and all of the satellite locations. John is abiding, and he's fervent in faith because he stays on mission for him. You look at Paul. Paul, he has this experience with Jesus. He goes to the church in Antioch. A lot of people don't realize Paul spent about nine years in Antioch getting ready to go on mission. He was abiding in Jesus, and then he goes out on mission and changes the world. And of course, Jesus models this for us. Look at Luke 5. It says, while he was, so Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Don't you love his faith? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. And here's what I want to look at. This is our transitional verse here. So Jesus ministers, he heals this man of leprosy, but then what's he go and do? Verse 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Look at the New Living Translation. It says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Over and over, as you read through the life of Jesus, you see he was always in prayer, always abiding with the Father. The disciples knew this. They understood this was the secret behind his supernatural power. That's why they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. But now Jesus didn't only pray. He prayed with a purpose. He prayed after engaging in mission and before going out on mission. As we look at the next verse, verse 17. And on one of those days as he was teaching, so Jesus ministers, he retreats and prays, and he goes back out on mission. 
Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with them to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him in with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Why did these people experience extraordinary things? Because of why. What did Jesus do before he went out on ministry? He prayed. To maintain a fervent faith, you must abide in Jesus. Maintaining spiritual fervor involves abiding in Jesus a principle given to the disciples shortly before the crucifixion. Jesus knew his departure was close and his disciples would no longer have opportunity to be with him. They needed to learn to abide and have a relationship with him in a different way. Jesus instructs in John 15, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding is a necessary prerequisite for fervor and fruitfulness. Maintaining fervor is dependent on receiving a constant flow of life from Christ. No spiritual achievement is possible while separate from him. Apart from him, a person can do nothing. Apart from him, a person will not find meaning in life or hope for the future. Apart from him, a person could do nothing of lasting significance or of eternal value. But I love this. Counter this with the words of Paul. He says in Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with him, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. Abiding means to remain to stay in the presence of Jesus, to meditate on his words, to constantly continue in prayer and worship, to remain in the mindset of Christ. Abiding includes reading the Bible, memorizing scripture, praying, worshiping, listening to the Spirit. Abiding increases knowledge and experience with Jesus. I've been in prayer for some time, asking, Lord, what would you have us do as a church body in the way of prayer. Because the question is not, would you have us pray? But, Jesus, how should we be praying? And over the past few months, I've come to the understanding that God is asking us to do much in prayer. In 1857, Jeremiah Lanfear was given the task by his church in New York to begin an outreach ministry to the unchurched. One of his initiatives as a member of his church was leading a noonday prayer meeting each Wednesday for area residents, merchants, and businessmen. 
And then beginning on September 23rd, shortly after he started this meeting, 1857, attendance increased quickly and the prayer services soon relocated to a larger church where the prayer meetings began to be held daily. Prayer meetings were run by church members, not pastors. And soon the prayer meeting met building capacity at 700 people. People of different socioeconomic status, race, vocation, men and women, all people motivated in prayer. As local newspapers began to report on the daily prayer services, churches among different denominations began conducting similar meetings. Soon the overflow crowds began to meet in other venues all over New York, including community halls and theaters. Because of the popularity of the prayer meetings, area businesses soon closed for an extended period around the lunch hour. Did you catch that? So many people were praying, they shut down New York for lunch. Not to eat, but to pray. Isn't that incredible? Church members began sharing their faith with others. Large numbers of individuals accepted Jesus. Attendance increased at area churches in an estimated A total of 10,000 individuals attended the prayer meetings daily. 10,000 people committed to praying at least an hour a day. Individuals from other states attended the prayer meetings and returned home to begin similar prayer meetings in Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, the Carolinas, and Vermont. All over the U.S., these prayer meetings started to spring up. This prayer movement in large ways fanned into flame the great awakening at the turn of the 19th century as people began to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, empowering them to travel around the world to share the story of Jesus. This is how the Assemblies of God was started. In essence, then, as our church is connected to that, this is how our church, Connection Point, began. From prayer, to empowerment, to mission, to the ends of the earth. Our movement, the Assemblies of God, grew out of prayer. From zero, early 1900s, didn't exist, to now 100 years later to over 67 million adherents around the world. I'm currently putting together a Connection Point prayer guide. It's been an ongoing work, and I'm getting close to done. It's a guide to encourage people to pray an hour a day. Coming from Mark 14, where Jesus asked some of his disciples in the Garden at Gethsemane, Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray. Prayer guide's going to be broken up into seven days. In the prayer guide will be scriptures and prayer points, time blocks to pray for requests that come in through connect cards. You know, if you've never prayed for an hour and you think that's a hard thing to do, but if you break it up, it's really not. There's continually things that we need to put together or put before the Lord in prayer. Listings of countries represented by Purdue International students, this list provided from Chi Alpha. Nations to pray over that are in our near neighbor community. Local, state, and national government offices, local ministries and churches, we want to cover the greater Lafayette community in prayer and our world in prayer. We want to be praying for Morocco. We're going to open the doors of the church from 6 to 7 a.m. for those that would like to come and pray here. But to be honest, although I look forward to praying with others here in the morning, what I really would love to see happen is for people to begin to rise up and say, hey, I'm on the east side of Lafayette. I'll start up a prayer meeting on Mondays during the noon hour in my home. I'm in South Lafayette. I'll start up a prayer meeting on Wednesdays during lunch in my office with my boss's permission. I'm in Wolcott. I'll open my home on Friday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. and we'll pray there. I attend Harrison High School. I'll start a Thursday lunch prayer meeting. 
I'm at West Lafayette High School. I'll hold a prayer meeting on Tuesday mornings before school begins. I'll ask the principal for a space to pray in. We must cover the greater Lafayette area in prayer if we expect to see God move and for us to remain fervent in faith. I'm convinced of it. If you're unable to pray for an hour, could you pray for 15 minutes? And I want to put before you a challenge. If you've got time for TV and social media, you've got time for prayer. You can't take TV to eternity, but you can take your neighbor's soul with you. You really need to consider your fervency in faith. If you can't make it to a, a prayer meeting, maybe it's too far for you to go, could you take that prayer guide and be praying in your home? To maintain a fervent faith, you must abide in Jesus. You must spend time in prayer, but it can't stop there. Because to maintain a fervent faith, you must stay on mission for Jesus. While living in Jerusalem, our family loved visiting the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Underground springs fed the Sea of Galilee along the Jordan River, which flows into the north side of the lake. At the south end, the Jordan River continues to flow out to the Dead Sea. So the Sea of Galilee, it's fed by springs. The Jordan River comes in, it goes back out and goes to the Dead Sea. But the waters of the Dead Sea, they flow nowhere. Everything stays there, and so nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Life requires a constant flow of nutrients, a filling up and a flowing out. Followers of Jesus need to be Galilee, filled up by abiding and poured out in mission. I'll say that again. Followers of Jesus need to be Galilee. We don't want to be the Dead Sea. Filled up by abiding and poured out mission. New Testament believers reveal that spiritual fervor involves engaging in mission. Abiding in Jesus gives strength to fulfill his mission. Abiding includes giving Jesus the best of our time, an hour or two in the day, leading to the best of times. Now, I do know that taking part in mission, it may not always seem like the best of times, but what I know is the spiritual growth and maturity that's gained by engaging in mission cannot be replaced. It's unparalleled. Mission involvement eventually leads to the best of times. It is important to take part in mission to be poured out for spiritual vitality. The quest for spiritual fervor and maturity, it's a lifelong endeavor. Paul writes about this in Philippians. Here's what he says. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Even a veteran follower of Jesus, like Paul, he did not view himself as arrived. There was more to learn and experience. He chose terms like straining and pressing on to describe a process. The quest for spiritual maturity was not a passive or casual endeavor for Paul. He makes spiritual formation sound more like an athletic event than a Bible study. Spiritual fervor requires perseverance in abiding and engaging in mission. To run the race well, a person must remain aflame with a passion to change the world in Jesus' name. So we're going to distribute these prayer guides and begin opening the church for early morning prayer the week of August 21st. So I'm giving you a month lead time. We want to put the books together well, but I also want you to begin to pray and ask, God, how would you have me respond? What do you want me doing in the area of prayer? Will you pray at home? Will you come to church to pray? Will you find a prayer meeting in your area? Will you start a prayer meeting near you? Anyone can pray for a day, a week, a month, 
but the fervent will pray for a lifetime. William Carey, a globally-minded Christian from the 1700s, committed himself to living and working in India. One of his more famous quotes is, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And as an old man, he talked to his nephew about the possibility of someone writing about his life and said, if he gives me credit for being a plotter, he will describe me justly. Anything beyond this will be too much. I can plod. I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this, I owe everything. Part of following Jesus involves plodding on as an authentic Christian for an entire lifetime. I don't want your response to this message to be an emotional one. I want it to be a prayerful one. I want you to begin to ask the Lord, what would you have me do in prayer? So please take the next month and do that. Here's what I know. If Jesus should wait to return and we all commit to praying an hour a day for the next 30 years with the amount of people presently in this room, so I'm not even taking into calculation growth, it would amount to over 4 million hours of prayer, over 250 million minutes of prayer. What could God do in the greater Lafayette area with over 4 million hours of logged prayer? Marriages restored? Children dedicated to Jesus, abortion numbers reduced or eliminated, orphans and widows taken care of, entire families transformed, lives changed. What could God do in the world? What could he do in places like Morocco with over 4 million hours of committed prayer? Churches planted where they do not exist, food, water, and clothing provided for those in need, Bibles distributed to hard-to-reach places, strongholds torn down, lives eternally changed. To maintain a fervent faith, you must abide in Jesus and stay on mission for him. Man, I'd like to tell you about he never received a formal education, yet he lectured at Harvard. He was born in a gypsy tent, yet he was summoned to the White House to meet two presidents. Born in the Epping Forest outside of London in 1860, Rodney Gypsy Smith crisscrossed the Atlantic Ocean 45 times, preaching the gospel to millions. Few evangelists have preached with more passion his secret, private prayer. More powerful than his preaching was his praying. Gypsy's secret was revealed to a delegation of revival seekers who asked him how God could use them just as he was using Gypsy. Without hesitation, Gypsy said, Go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor and with a piece of chalk draw a circle around yourself and there on your knees Pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that chalk circle. So we're going to do that today. We're going to close in prayer. Music team is going to begin to play, and I'm going to invite you to come and draw a prayer circle this morning. For this is where every great movement of God begins, in that circle that you draw. To be fervent in faith, you must pray. So I'm going to call our church to prayer. Come, let's pray. Ask God to begin a revival in your prayer circle this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as the music team begins to play. Please come. Don't stay in your seats as the word was given. If that step forward is what you need to see happen for that freedom to be released in your life, step out. But begin to pray and ask God, start that revival in me. Because if it doesn't start in you, it doesn't start in the church, and it doesn't start in this area. Begin to pray.